0: Good morning, Redeemer Church. My name is Eric Zeller. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, Today, as we open the Word, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. Last week, Pastor Morgan started our series by looking at Acts chapter 1. In that message, we saw Jesus appearing after his resurrection, and he was teaching his disciples about their mission that they would have after he goes back up into heaven. This book has been called the Acts of the Apostles. But Pastor Morgan reminded us that a better title would be the acts of the risen Lord Jesus, because Jesus is the one in the book of Acts who's advancing his unstoppable mission to the ends of the earth. And that's really the key idea that holds our series and really the book of Acts together. In chapter one that we saw last week, it's kind of the the preface, the the background info that you need to understand the story better. So then today, we're going to come to chapter two of the book of Acts. We're in this series, we're not doing every single passage in Acts. We're just picking certain texts. So in Acts 2, which we just read, the story of Jesus advancing his unstoppable word by his people to the ends of the earth begins in earnest. But let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to open up this book of Acts. Uh, what an amazing book telling the story of the birth of the church and the progress of the church and the growth of your mission to the ends of the earth. Father, as your people today in 2020, may we learn from this book. May we be encouraged by the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. May we be empowered by understanding this unstoppable word. And may we be the ones who are your witnesses in this day to the ends of the earth. So work through your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, question for you today. Do you like K-pop? Do you like K-pop? Maybe you enjoy some BTS or Mamamoo or EXO, something like that. You know, K-pop, it's a musical style that originated in South Korea. It's now very popular worldwide. I'm a fan myself, and the style, it's got a lot of variety within it, but K-pop also has distinctive characteristics. It's got kind of its Korean music roots that's sort of fused with influences from all over the world of music. They have these groups that are put together and are trained really well. They have their own choreography. It's it's really wonderful. But but maybe if K-pop isn't your thing, that's okay because there's a lot of different musical styles in the world. There's this great Wikipedia article that's called List of Music Styles and, and it lists 921 different musical styles. And then at the end of that, after 921, it says these categories are not exhaustive. So there's a lot of styles. So, but just like K-pop, what makes any of those 921 styles recognizable is that they have certain characteristics. They have a particular manner of doing things. Whatever style you like, if I play some music, you can say, this is it. Or... No, that's not it. And as we read God's word, we find that the Holy Spirit has a particular style. Now, certainly the Holy Spirit works in a variety of ways at a variety of times. Of course, we as humans have no ability to limit the Holy Spirit in any way. But just like a musical artist, his work has certain characteristics that can be observed and described. The Holy Spirit has a recognizable style. And we need to be able to recognize this style. Now, all Christians, if you're an Orthodox Christian of any kind, we all agree who the Holy Spirit is. We know he's not a ghost or a vapor or an it. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's equal with the Father and the Son in perfection and holiness and power. But we can get confused around what the Holy Spirit does. We get confused about words like baptize, and fill, and walk, and seal, and indwell, and inspire, and prophecy, and tongues. Maybe uh, you've been a part of different churches, and they seem to have different approaches to how to talk about the Holy Spirit, and how to respond to the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it's hard to understand why. Acts 2 is going to help us. It's going to help us by showing us the style of the Holy Spirit, so that we can recognize where he is working and where he isn't. But as we dive into this, we've got to be ready for one challenge, and that's that Acts 2 is a narrative. And when we read biblical narratives, biblical stories, we know that some parts are just telling us what happened, and other parts of those stories are telling us what should happen. Some parts are descriptive, and other parts are prescriptive, and we've got to discern which one is which. Now, the the way we don't want to do that is for that to be up to me. For me to just subjectively pick, I want to follow these parts and I don't want to follow these parts, that's not going to work. The right approach involves two steps. It involves careful study. And the first step is that carefully studying this passage To understand what's going on what's the context what did the author intend and then secondly comparing this one passage to other parts of scripture to the clear commands of scripture to see and discern if this is intended as a paradigm for us to be following in an ongoing way that's how we want to study any kind of narrative especially the book of acts so i can give you a quick example in chapter 2 verse 4 we read this verse it talks about how they're all filled with the holy spirit now do we want to be filled with the holy spirit absolutely we do Right In Ephesians 5, believers are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To not be filled with the Spirit is a sin. But what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, as this text features the Holy Spirit, we should expect that it's going to help us understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit in some way. But we should also expect that as a narrative, there might be details in this text that are unique, that are not intended to be an ongoing part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so just one example, how about the the detail in verse 41? Look at verse 41. I hope you've got your Bibles open. Verse 41 says, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And that's incredible. 3,000. Should that be our benchmark? If we have 3,000 converts or more, does that imply that that means the preacher was spirit-filled? So if we only have 2,000 converts, or only two converts, or even none, does that necessarily mean that the preacher was not filled by the Holy Spirit? And we look at Scripture, and we read other places in Scripture, we've got to say, no, because Scripture gives many examples of faithful sermons by spirit-led men. For example, Paul preaching in Athens in Acts 17, or Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, that don't result in 3,000 converts. So we come back to Acts two and we say, no, that 3,000, that has to be a unique feature of that day. It's something that God can do when He wants to do it, kind of like Metallica can play with a full orchestra sometimes, but it's not a part of their normal style. It's not something we should expect as a regular part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we were to go out and expect 3,000 converts every time we preach, we would have an unbiblical expectation about the work of the Spirit. And when we have unbiblical expectations about what the Spirit should be doing, then we have a difficult time recognizing and celebrating and being a part of what the Spirit is doing. So let's open Acts 2, and in light of the rest of Scripture, putting, trying to put together as much as we can, let's observe five characteristics of the Spirit's style. Five characteristics of the spirit style. And the first one is is this. He's calling the world. The spirit is calling the world. And let's let's start with some Old Testament background here. So go to verse 17. Look at verse 17. At 17 to 21. Peter is explaining what's happening here. Peter explains this Pentecost event by opening up Old Testament prophecy. He goes to the book of Joel. The prophet Joel, chapter chapter 2 of Joel. And in this text, look at verse 17. In the last days it shall be... God declares, God is promising a new era is coming. He's saying these last days are going to come. And what God is going to do in these last days is he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then you keep reading this prophecy and and you say, now, wait a minute, the the sun is turning to darkness and the moon is turning to blood. Is that now, has that happened yet? And, And now, ironically, I was studying this text on Sunday morning And there actually was a solar eclipse. But, no, I I don't think all the, the events of this prophecy have happened yet because the New Testament, as we read it, it views the last days as a period of time. This period of time is inaugurated with the coming of Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit. We believe the last days have now begun. We are living in them But there's still something else to come. There still will come that great and final day of the Lord that's talked about in this text, this great reckoning associated with the second coming of Christ. So this is one of many passages that blend together the already and the not yet. There's some parts that are not yet here, but the rest of it is beginning right here. So God says in these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh That phrase, all flesh, makes us think of Genesis, how how all mankind had rebelled against God, and and God judged all flesh. He poured down water on all flesh in judgment in the flood, but he's saying now in the last is going to pour out revelation through the Holy Spirit on all flesh, and everybody gets to be a part of it, men and women, old and young, masters and servants. The Spirit's truth is going to be equally available to all the people of the world. The son of a king and the daughter of a chaiwala have equal access to the Lord, to the Spirit, in these last days. And Peter's saying this incredible prophecy of what God is going to do, it's happening now. It's starting now. These last days are beginning right now. And what made Peter say that? Well, We've got to back up a little bit. This story in Acts 2 begins on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish celebration, a a big festival that they would come in from all over the place. It takes place 50 days after Passover. Jesus ascended 40 days after Passover, so this is 10 days later after the ascension. And so here's the disciples. They're waiting, like Jesus said. They're they're gathering together, they're praying, and and we we have this gathering at the beginning. Maybe it's just the 12, more likely it's the 120 mentioned in Acts chapter 1. And so they're gathering, and as they gather, God shows up. He shows up now in the Old Testament on those rare occasions where God physically manifests his presence, like on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, or the pillar of fire in the desert, or with Elijah and Elisha, or the call of Ezekiel, what happens? You have all these things happening. You have wind happening. You have have fire appearing. It's the idea of heavenly glory manifesting itself. And here in this text, that's the idea. Ten days before God the Son returned to heaven. But today, God the Spirit has arrived. God is here in his glory. God is with his people. God is filling his people. And he doesn't just arrive and then leave. He arrives and he comes to stay because he's filling up all the disciples. This is not some private experience that somebody has off by themselves. Dozens of people are gathered here and they can report later to Luke. They can say, here's what it looked like. Here's what it sounded like. They are witnesses of this event. So the Spirit is poured out on these people. He's poured out on some flesh, we could say, some people, but the prophecy said the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. So the very next thing, the Spirit starts calling out to the world. He, start, he wants to spread. He wants to go to the world. And here's Jerusalem. It's this cosmopolitan city, especially on a holiday like this in 2.5. Look at it. It says that there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Sounds kind of like Dubai. Some of these countries are listed in 9 through 11, and there's a lot of them. I won't read them all right now. And so there's all these people here from all these places gathered in Jerusalem, and once the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, look what happens. Verse 4. It says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They started talking in tongues, and now the word tongue, besides just your your tongue, the, the red thing in your mouth, what does it mean? It means language look at the context it, what it can't mean here it can't mean unintelligible noises because what happens people understand look at verse 6 so here we have these people from all these countries in verse 6 the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language so what's happening here is that the spirit is using believers to speak in languages that they do not know and have not learned they don't teach per, they don't teach Persian or Arabic or, or, you know, or Tagalog at the school in Galilee, where these guys are from. But here are these Galilean fishermen, and they're speaking to people from all these places in their own language. That's, what happen- that's what's happening. Notice in verse four, it says that they all began to speak. This isn't the most spiritual ones, the most holy ones, the ones that have a, a higher plane than the other ones, but this is all of them. All of the believers speak in other languages. And the crowd can understand that They say, what's going on? It says in verse 7, they're amazed. In verse 12, they're astonished. They're perplexed. You don't expect to hear your own language spoken in Jerusalem when you've come from the farthest reaches of the earth. And so that makes us ask the question, well, should we do this? Should this be a normal part of our ministry? Should I expect to be able to go, say, to Mongolia and immediately preach the gospel in Mongolian without learning the language? And the short answer that comes from the passage is, That's not up to you. That's not up to you because these people didn't seek languages and they didn't manufacture them. This is a miracle that's done by the Holy Spirit according to his sovereign ability and plan. So if God's plan is for you to speak in other languages, the Spirit will do that. But if it isn't, then he won't. You might want a longer answer to that question, but for now, we've got to stay with the message of Acts 2, but I'll tell you what I'll do. Check out the Redeemer channels later on today, and we'll put out a bonus video where I'm going to try to work through how this relates to other texts in Acts and Corinthians. We'll do that later on. Check out for that video. But for now, Acts 2, we ask the question, why is this happening? Why do we have the gospel being proclaimed in all these different languages? And look at verse 11. Here's the bottom line. So we list all the countries. And it says, all of us from all these places, verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues, so in our own languages, we hear them telling the mighty works of God. All these people from all over the world are hearing about the mighty works of God. We read Joel 2 where God promised to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And we can think of Isaiah 66 and so many other prophecies where Yahweh declares that all flesh shall come and worship before me. God wants to be known by all flesh and the Spirit is doing this miracle on Pentecost to say, it's time. It's time now. It's time for the world to come. It's time for everyone to hear this good news of who God is. He's calling out to the world. Through His Spirit, Jesus is sending His witnesses to Jerusalem and to to, to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in these last days, the call goes out to the world. Look at verse 21 from Joel 2. That it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God wants to save he wants to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation and as we keep reading the old the new testament there's not always going to be a feast and there's not always going to be a fire and sometimes missionaries are going to have to go to language school but the consistent style of the spirit is to always call to everyone always to call the whole world what that means friends is that the only faithful church is a global church. It means that any hint of class prejudice or racial animosity has no place in the body of Christ. That's not the style of the spirit. The church is one people from many cultures together to bring the gospel to all nations. Our God wants to be known to the ends of the earth. Calling out to the world is a mark of being spirit filled. All ethnocentricity and focus on me and my group is resisting the spirit. Praise God, Redeemer, for our unique diversity. We are a unique church in that way, but let's not be content with where we are. Let's keep going. Let's keep fighting for the unity of the Spirit here in our local body, and let's keep calling out to everyone around us and calling out in the power of the Spirit to everyone in the world. So as we start to understand the style of the Spirit, our first observation is that the Spirit style involves calling the world. How? How? Well, look at the second characteristic. The second characteristic of the Spirit's style is explaining the Bible. Explaining the Bible, because let's ask this question. What does it look like? Here's here's Peter, and he's, he's filled with the Spirit. The Spirit himself has come upon Peter unmistakably. And what does it look like when a man who is filled with the Spirit gets up to speak? And the text answers, it looks like explaining the Bible. Explaining the Bible, because Peter's going to give this long sermon, verse 14 to verse 40, and you say, oh, well, that's not that long. But look at verse 40. What does it say? It says, with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So there's a lot more here. It's just the cliff notes. But the whole thing is an explanation of three passages. We already saw the first text is Joel 2. He talks about that in 17 to 21. The Spirit is being poured out on all in the last days, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so how's that going to happen? Peter finds the answer in his next text, which is Psalm 16. So in verse 25 and following, he looks at Psalm 16. In this psalm, David, who's the writer of the psalm, he talks about God not abandoning his Holy One to corruption and death. You see that in verse 27. Peter's arguing that this holy one, it it can't be David. David can't be talking about himself because guess what? David actually did die. He did get buried. This must be a descendant of David, one in the line of David. And it's got to be Jesus. Jesus is the descendant of David who conquered death. Jesus must be the promised Messiah, he's arguing to them. And then he goes on and he goes to uh, to Psalm 110. So verse 34 and 35, we see this quote from Psalm 110. And again, here, David, he's writing the Psalm. David is the king. And so here's the king. And what does he say? The Lord said to my Lord, verse 34, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So here's the, the writer is the king, but above the king, There's the Lord, but there's not one, but there's two Lords, because the Lord said to my Lord, and and so the second Lord is sitting in the place of equal honor and glory at the right hand of the Lord God. And so Peter's arguing from that passage that Jesus, the one who is raised from the dead, is in fact the equal of God the Father. Jesus is himself God. This is all prophesied in the Old Testament. So, So being filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter doesn't say, hey, I got some secrets here. Listen to what the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear. What he does say is y'all need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible because in these last days, spirit-filled ministry isn't about receiving new revelation, but it's about applying old revelation. The style of the Spirit is explaining the Bible. And we see this all throughout Acts. In Acts chapter 3, if we keep going, Peter is going to preach From Deuteronomy 18, in Acts 4, the church prays based on Psalm 2. In Acts 7, read Acts 7. Peter preaches basically the whole Old Testament culminating in Isaiah 66. In Acts chapter 8, Philip preaches Isaiah 53 to the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 13, we have the Apostle Paul's longest sermon. He goes through several different passages culminating in Isaiah 49, 6, which says, I have made you a light for the nations that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And it goes on when the unity of the church is threatened in Acts 15, they make a decision based on Amos chapter 9. The book of Acts ends finally in chapter 28 with a missional summary from Isaiah chapter 6. And so it goes. This book of Acts is permeated with the Old Testament because that's the style of the spirit. That's why again and again throughout Acts, as people believe and the gospel spreads and churches are planted, the way Acts continues to summarize what's going on is to say, like it does in chapter 19, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It's the the word of the Lord going out. It's the unstoppable word. God works through his spirit through his word. When the spirit empowers, he doesn't pull God's people away from the word, but he pulls us to the word. Spirit-filled teaching isn't about waiting for more revelation to come. Try telling that to Peter, to Peter who spent every day of the previous five years studying hard in the seminary of Jesus. Spirit-filled teaching is about mastering the revelation you already have. Spirit-filled worship isn't about singing more loudly than the next guy. Spirit-filled worship is about singing biblically. Spirit-filled leaders aren't those who peddle their own ideas or glory in their ignorance. They are the ones who contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, as it says in the book of Jude. Look for that, friends. Look for leaders like that. Follow those leaders who are marked by the diligent study and careful explanation of Scripture. Follow such people and be a person like that yourself because the style of the Spirit is the explanation of Scripture. We dishonor the Spirit when we talk much about Him, but we ignore the book that He's given to us. And what does that look like? We can be even more specific, and that leads into the next characteristic. When the Spirit is calling to the world through these apostles, through the Word, and He's doing so through their explanation of the Bible, what specifically do they talk about? What's the content of this message that's inspired by the Holy Spirit? Let's let Peter answer. Look what he says in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. It's Jesus. As we look at the style of the Spirit, we've seen so far calling the world and explaining the Bible. But the third characteristic of the Spirit's style is preaching Jesus. Because the message is Jesus. As you read the first chapter, as you read the whole chapter of Acts 2, you see this shift. What happens is the main character in the first half is the spirit. But then as the spirit fills and the spirit inspires, the focus in the second half of the chapter is on Jesus Christ. It's on Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter emphasizes the name. He says, hear these words, Jesus. There's no doubt about who he's talking about here. He's talking about Jesus. He uses the name Jesus five times. He uses the the, the title Lord six times. Peter is preaching Jesus. He's proclaiming Jesus. He's calling them to see who Jesus is, to understand what Jesus accomplished, to respond properly to Jesus. Jesus was a man, he says in in verse 22. Uh, Verse 23, Jesus was sent according to the plan of God to do the works of God. Verse 23, Jesus was crucified and died. Verse 24, Jesus rose from the dead as was prophesied in the Old Testament. Verse 33, that Jesus was exalted to rule from the place of equality at the Father's right hand. Verse 33, from that position where he has all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to carry on his mission through his people. So, when he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak, what is Peter's message? Well, look at the summary in verse 36. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Friends, you've got to know who Jesus is and you have to deal with him. That's Peter's message. And if any preacher ever had an excuse to make the focus of their preaching spirit this and spirit that and revelation this and anointing that, it's Peter. But instead, the clear focus of his ministry is Jesus Christ. Because when a man is filled with the Holy Spirit, the content of his message is the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 16, Jesus said, John 16, 13, he said, When the Spirit of truth comes, verse 14, he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is here to glorify Christ. That's why he's come in these last days, not to shine the focus onto himself, but to glorify Christ. Uh, A spirit-filled ministry is a Christ-focused ministry. And here's a little test for a ministry. The test is this. If the spirit's the focus, he isn't the boss. Because if the spirit is the boss, Jesus is the focus. The message of a spirit-filled church is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And let's keep going. Let's keep going because there's there's a fourth characteristic. And we, we want to focus on the end of the sermon. Look at the end, verse 36. We saw that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And you can see the response in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? People should ask that after a sermon. And and here's the answer. Here's the application, Verse, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, when the, when the Spirit fills a preacher, the fourth characteristic of his style is turning from sin. Turning from sin. That's what repentance means. It means that you hear Scripture explained, you understand who Jesus is, you recognize the ways in which you've fallen short of his standards, and then you turn away from that sin as you turn to Jesus. It means saying that good works don't save you, good family doesn't save you, only turning away from your sin in repentance and turning to Jesus in faith, only that can save you. And, And I want all of you to see, I want to say to all of you that you can do that today. If that hasn't happened in your life, today can be the day that you turn away from the things that you now are enslaved by and turn to Jesus for here on out to belong to him. And that's what baptism symbolizes. Baptism is a God-given symbol of turning away from sin and identifying with the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. And even as repentance is happening outwardly, Peter says the Spirit is doing something inwardly. All of those who repent are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't only for some. But every person who hears Jesus preached and turns away from their sin to Him receives regeneration, faith, forgiveness, a new heart, and the Spirit dwelling in them. And of course, God's Word teaches us that we not only begin the Christian life with the Spirit-generated repentance, but our whole life as Christians is characterized by an ongoing turning away from sin and the power of the Spirit who dwells in us. Friends, beware. Beware of any place that talks a lot about the spirit, but doesn't offer a clear explanation of what a person must do to be saved. Because where the spirit is working, the bottom line is repentance. Turning from sin is the style of the spirit. Verse 37 should be a question that you ask. Whenever you visit a church, you listen to teaching online, are you going to follow any kind of Christian leader? The question you should ask should be, what shall we do? What's the action to be taken in response to your message? What's the to do here? And in some places, the to-do seems to have a lot to do with, with, you know, having more faith and sowing more seeds and getting more health and getting more wealth. And in other places, the to-do is more about becoming, you know, becoming more whole and feeling more welcomed and feeling more affirmed and you being the best version of you. In other places, the the to-do is more like sharing their weird eschatological speculations or their views on the politics of the day. In some places, you can listen to hours and hours of their teaching and not come away with any idea of what you're supposed to be doing in response. But friends, I'm going to say this to you with biblical authority, that if repentance is not clear, the Spirit is not present. Because where sin is not abandoned, the Spirit is not available because a Spirit filled ministry may teach a lot of things about a lot of things, but it's always going to come down to that clear demarcation that says, This is what the Lord requires. We have to keep asking the question that Moses asked in Exodus 32, where he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Will you take his side? Will you take God's side? Will you agree with what God says about your sin and turn to Jesus? Or will you keep opposing God, fighting with God, rebelling against God through your continued unrepentance? That's the to-do. It's turning away from sin. And okay, I promised five characteristics of the spirit style. Number one, calling the world. Number two, explaining the Bible. Number three, preaching Jesus. Number four, turning from sin. And so now number five, finally, it's planting the church. The church, because look at the result in verse 41. Here we are at the end of the sermon. Uh, He preaches, he calls for repentance. In verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Ask this question: Added, they're added, they're added by who into what? And what we can see immediately afterwards is focusing on the church. The next passage after this is describing the life of the local church and, and the ministry of the local church. And so in Acts, when people are saved, they don't become new Christians and then become their own little spiritual units, but they are gathered into local churches. That's not something that starts later on, that's something that starts right here in Acts chapter 2. The rest of the chapter is all about how the, that first church in Jerusalem of these 3,000, they continue to grow and care for each other. But they're added into the church, but they're added by who? Notice they were added, they didn't add themselves. In the context of the chapter, the answer is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who added them. He's the one who's working. He adds these people to the church. But we can add some biblical context here. In Acts 1.5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. To be baptized means to immerse. In the passage, these first disciples are certainly immersed in the Spirit who's been poured out on them, but going forward, how can we tell who's been immersed by the Holy Spirit? Who has the baptism of the Spirit? Is it pastors? Is it people who speak in languages they haven't learned? Is it whoever sings really fervently? How can we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We can get some help here from Paul. After Acts, in the letters to the churches, there's only one passage that refers to spirit baptism, and it's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So we can see in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the subjects of the baptism, we were all baptized into one body. It's every single Christian, at the time they become a Christian, they are baptized, not some Christians later on, And the nature of the baptism, he says, for in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Into one body. It's not a subjective experience, but it's the immersion into the body of Christ. It's being added to the church. And see, that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2, that every single sinner who repents and believes receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit himself who baptizes them into his church. Right here, the Holy Spirit baptizes a whole bunch of believers into a church, and so he plants the first church. The Spirit's the one who plants the Jerusalem church and the Spirit is the one who's planted every true church that's been planted since that day because the style of the Spirit is ministry within faithful local churches. Acts 2 through 6 is all about his work in this church in Jerusalem. It's the same style as Acts 2. We have Bible, Jesus, repentance, But as the spirit keeps calling to the world, he wants to plant more churches. And so the word keeps going out from Jerusalem. In Acts 6 through 9, the word goes to Judea and it goes to Samaria. And as the spirit fills more faithful messengers to explain the Bible, guess what happens? People know Jesus. They repent of their sin and more churches are planted. But the spirit's got to keep calling. He wants to call to the world. So in Acts 9 to 12, Gentiles come to repentance and faith. And then the first Gentile church is planted in Antioch. And then the second half of the book, uh, from 13 on to the rest, the Gentile mission really goes into full swing through Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and their missionary journeys. Churches are planted all over the known world by the end of Acts. God's people have been his witnesses to the ends of the earth as they knew it at that time, and the Spirit has done it. He's done it by saving people, by regenerating them, and by baptizing them into local churches. A spirit-filled people are a people who love the local church and sacrifice to plant more local churches and more local churches because that's the style of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we don't have to agree about every detail of the Spirit's work to enjoy fellowship and unity in the local church. In the time today, we haven't exhausted all that the Bible shows us about the Spirit's style. Keep studying Watch the extra video we'll put up later today and keep reading the Bible and keep seeking to understand the style of the Spirit. But what I expect that we can't agree on is that in Acts 2 and throughout Acts and the rest of the New Testament, the style of the Spirit is calling the world. It's explaining the Bible. It's preaching Jesus. It's turning from sin. It's planting healthy churches for all the peoples of the earth. And in light of this, in light of what we've seen today, I want to leave you with two exhortations. Two exhortations. Finally, beware, beware of counterfeit spirituality. You ever been down to the gold souk and that guy comes up to you and says, Hey, sir, copy watch, copy watch, copy Rolex? Guess what? It ain't a Rolex, okay? You know, it's kind of like if you were a huge Beatles fan, you love the group, the Beatles. And your friend invites you to come to the Beatles Festival. And so there's this big event celebrating the Beatles. And everywhere there's Beatles decorations and Beatles signs. And then they announce special event today. The Beatles are actually going to perform. The living members are going to give a concert right here of, of their favorite songs. And so the curtain pulls back. And the music begins. And you start to hear singing. But what you hear is an opera singer. And it's a a female soprano, and she's belting out the Barber of Seville or something like that. What do you immediately say? You say, I don't know what that is, but it ain't the Beatles. Because I've studied their style. I know their style. I've been immersed in their style for my whole life, and that's not it. She may be a beautiful, sincere, well-meaning person who's, who's doing her best to sing this song, but what she's doing isn't the Beatles. It's a fact. It's not them. It's not their style. And friends, there's so much out there that takes the name of the Holy Spirit and runs in the opposite direction. This hits close to home for my family. My wife, Heather, grew up in Redding, California, in a church that talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, In this church, their measure of spirituality was what they called speaking in tongues, which wasn't the gospel proclamation of Acts 2. It was chanting and nonsense sounds of their own invention. They had classes where they tried to make little children produce these sounds and told them that God would be happy with them if they did and wouldn't be happy with them if they didn't. Fortunately, Heather and her family started reading the Bible. They got out of that church. But that church over the years became even more and more extreme and unbiblical and started teaching things like the pastor had special powers in his right hand and that angel feathers would come down from the sky at their services and that you should lie on the graves of dead prophets and suck the power out of their bones and that in all of these ways they're going to bring heaven right here to earth and people listen to this stuff and so with this mix of a lot of heresy and a little bible This church has become big, and and their influence has spread. They've come to be known all around the world. You may even have heard of Bethel Church or their musical offshoot Jesus Culture. And see, our family has many friends who have been in that church. We know there are people there who are genuine in their love for Jesus. But it ain't the Beatles, and it ain't the Spirit, because the Bible tells us His style, and that's not it. Bethel is just one example, but there are countless others. No doubt where you come from, there are are counterfeit spiritualities. And the test is as simple as Acts chapter 2. Because if the direction of the ministry is away from mission to the nations, if it's away from exegesis of scripture, if the ministry is moving away from focusing on Jesus, if the ministry is moving away from a clear call to repentance, or away from planting new churches, rather than toward those things... Whatever supposed spirit filling is going on there is not of God. It's a counterfeit. It's a copy watch. These ministries are not harmless. They wreck lives. They deceive people to think that God will bless them for supporting false teachers. They rob the poor. They give hope where God doesn't give hope. And they rob people of the hope that God genuinely does give. Beware of this kind of ministry. Stay away from it, Redeemer Church. If you care about anyone under the teaching of such a ministry, seek to graciously warn them. That's the first exhortation. Beware of counterfeit spirituality. And then as you do that, at the same time, final exhortation. Be free to celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be free to celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit because when you're burdened by the unbiblical expectations of counterfeit spirituality, you're made to feel like you lack something. Like believing the gospel and obeying the word of God isn't enough. That You have to have these extra experiences and, and there can be so much misplaced anxiety and false fear that results from being taught that God requires something of us that he has not demanded. And friends, I would have you be free of that today. Because when you know the style of the spirit, your focus shifts from bemoaning what you lack to celebrating the gift that you've already received. I recently watched... This documentary called The Last Dance about the career of the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. When I, was, when I was a little kid, Jordan was playing. He was in the height of his career, and they had these commercials that said, be like Mike. And, and me and all my 10-year-old buddies, we all wanted to be like Mike. And one of my friends would always talk about Michael Jordan, and he had the Chicago Bulls jersey, so he'd dress like Michael Jordan for Halloween, and he'd go around with his tongue sticking out like Michael Jordan did when he played basketball. In a very surfacy way, he tried to be like Michael Jordan. But my other friend, he, he took the time, he, he, he watched all the film of the basketball games and he, he wanted to learn how Michael Jordan worked. He wanted to follow Michael Jordan's underlying style of being the hardest worker on the team, of practicing more than anybody else and becoming an excellent player. Guess what? The second guy's more like Mike. Not the guy that talks about him a lot and looks like him on the surface, but the guy who understands him and follows him and seeks to to, to emulate what he actually does. Redeemer Church, let's not follow some superficial idea of what the Holy Spirit is. Let's follow what the style of the Holy Spirit actually is, has given in the Word of God. Redeemer Church, every one of us has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, 1 Corinthians 6. Every one of us has been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12. And every one of us has been sealed with the Spirit, guaranteeing our future inheritance, Ephesians 1. It is to your advantage, Jesus said in John 16, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. The Holy Spirit is an incredible gift and provision of Jesus Christ to his church. Let's not settle for that superficial costume version, but let's keep going deeper to observe and understand and celebrate the style of the Holy Spirit as he reveals himself in God's word. And when we do that, when we do that, what we're going to see in our church, Acts 2 tells us, is not gold dust and feathers and more, you know, more experiences, but it's more church planting. It's more repentance. It's more focus on Jesus, more explanation of the Bible, and more calling out to all, more and more and more peoples of the world. May it be so, Redeemer Church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the way that you work through your word and through your spirit. May we see his style in Acts 2 today, and may we become an increasingly spirit-filled church, not according to whatever definition we give to that, but according to the definition of the word of God. May we each beware of counterfeit spirituality. May we each celebrate the good gift that you've given us of the spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.